Okay, another episode of the Steve Laidlaw podcast. We have CBA news, so we've got to bring on our cap expert. It's Alex McLean. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well trying to beat the Southern Ontario heat, but uh, the thought of some ice rinks is keeping me a little cool, so doing well. Can it beat the Northwestern Ontario heat? We've had a Humidex morning of 35 plus for over a week now. I'm not somebody that believes in checking the weather, so I don't really know what the numbers are, but that sounds pretty similar to what we have here. Maybe not quite to the same level, but similar anyway. Yeah, I, the weather controls my day job as a forest firefighter. It's everything for us. If we if we aren't checking the weather, we don't know how to plan. So I'm all over the weather every single day, um, but I can understand kind of ignoring it because weathermen are just snake oil salesmen. Yeah, it sounds about right. <laughs> and I, I say that because my dad is a weatherman. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Um, so Alex, I understand you've got a birthday coming up. So happy birthday. Thank you. As a, uh, my birthday was a little over a week ago. And as a, a fellow summer birthday person, do you find that summer birthdays kind of suck? Um, it's a good question. It definitely did in elementary school when nobody was around to celebrate it. Nowadays, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. I mean, I do get to go golfing on my birthday now, so that's a plus as opposed to what would be a winter birthday, but I don't think it makes too much difference either way. Yeah, narcissistic me hated not having birthday parties because everyone was gone to camp for the summer, and mm -hmm. I've just kind of rolled that over to not caring about my birthday now, so um, <laughs> which is probably a healthy thing. I don't know. Hmm. Anyways... Yeah. Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, for sure. It, it's all perspective and how you how you color in the lines. Um, we have CBA news, Alex. Mm -hmm. The NHL, they achieved labor peace without a work stoppage. And all it took was a pandemic-induced work stoppage. Yeah, there's still a work stoppage. It's just they surprisingly weren't the ones that caused it this time. Right. Um. It, it seems like every insider got some sort of generic email or something like that with most of the main details that the NHL wanted out there. And then some of the minor minutia that, that are really going to affect things or, or the stuff that I really care about has not really gotten out there too much. So we, we, know, we know the big stuff that the cap is going to be flat for the next few years They've extended the CBA four years on top of the remaining two years with the potential for a fifth if, uh, if the hockey-related revenue doesn't climb back as fast as they had hoped. So it's got to hit like $4.8 um, before they start looking at the cap ceiling climbing. And if they don't make up the lost revenues from this year by 25-26, then the the CBA could be extended another year to 26, 27. So what is your overarching thoughts on this, Alex? I think uh, if they found a way to make the math and the money work that both sides are maybe not happy, but uh, at least willing to come to the compromise on it, then it works for me. I think it makes sense to not have the cap go any lower. It's good that they can find a way to at least keep it stagnant. Everybody's dealt with it this season there may have been a few contracts signed that uh, might have been a little bit different if with the projected cap numbers going up but generally keeping it stagnant uh, should keep everybody on somewhat of a level playing field and I think it's just good news that they're both working towards the same thing and seem to be at least uh, able to do it somewhat peacefully so yeah, you mentioned there's a, a handful of contracts that maybe are regrettable from uh, NHL team perspectives from like the start of 
this past season to when things went into lockdown mode in early March, there were a dozen contracts that were signed where the average annual value was over 3 million. And I wonder, would any of those contracts have been signed if teams knew what was coming for them? I mean, I think most of those players, the Roman Yossi's and the Nick Backstrom's, you would have seen extended anyways, and they were going to get money. They were going to get paid by their existing teams. They've been on team-friendly deals for a while. So those ones you would have seen signed. Maybe they would have taken a little under the about $9 million that they both got. Maybe you see them in the mid-eight range instead. But uh, I think most of them, we can say that they were uh, at least reasonable and that the stagnant cap at 81.5 million versus what it was projected to be at 84 to 88 or so uh, wouldn't have affected those too much because as we always see it's the top guys that get paid their money and the middle and the lower tier guys that always end up getting squeezed so I think the top guys still would have gotten their money and it just ends up meaning now that we have a different cap number that it's still the lower and the mid-tier guys getting squeezed to an even greater extent. So if lower and mid-tier guys are getting squeezed, Jean-Gabriel Pajot probably isn't getting a six-year deal worth $5 million AAV. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of that one right off the bat. I wasn't big on Chris Kreider's. Uh, seven years, six and a half AAV. I wasn't a fan of Marco Scandella's four year, just over 3 million. Uh, Nico Heischer's was fine. Braden Shen's was okay. Uh, Rasmus Anderson's I think is going to look like a bargain in a few years, but uh, it might just take a little longer with a stagnant cap. There, there's a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, generally I think we might've seen not more than half a million shaved off of most of them, but maybe kind of in the 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 range, just to trickle it out around a few other contracts on the roster. And if those guys are winners from having, I guess, the, the fortunate timing of signing their contracts before a global pandemic, are this year's free agents going to be big time losers for having to sign their contracts after the fact like you mentioned the top end guys probably aren't going to lose much on this i think we've touched on that plenty through these these podcasts but what about some of the the big time rfas are these guys going to have to take major haircuts or are they looking at uh, at short term bridge deals yeah i think that's the thing is they have to try and find a balance now because the teams won't have cap space for them. Do they sign those bridge deals? Do they try and go another two years until there's more cap space to go around for them? But I mean, at that point you're coming out and everybody's looking to get paid then. So maybe it is best to just sign with term and take a little bit of a cut off the top of whatever you would have been making. So guys like Sam Reinhart, Ryan Pulak, who have already bridged what are they looking at meanwhile somebody like uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois he is just coming off of his rookie deal a kind of two three-year bridge deal might have been standard for him anyway even though Columbus would probably love to lock him up long term uh, there it depends kind of situation to situation but uh, I think the other avenue that we could see and I know we kind of say this every year that uh, oh offer sheets might come up this year because of X and Y, but uh, this year it's, there. there's a few uh, kind of variables that have settled into place that look like it may be uh, more prevalent or at least more advantageous for some teams to take advantage of it, uh, especially in the Tampa Bay case with their complete cap crunch and still having to sign three key RFAs off the top. It's going to be interesting to kind of see where they all come in. I think bottom line, we probably see a few more bridge deals, but the guys coming off, uh, like I mentioned, Sam Reinhart, Ryan Pulak, those guys might take a little bit less than what we would have expected. 
but they'll still end up getting their long-term deals. Yeah, might those guys end up doing a second bridge similar to what Darnell Nurse ended up doing? I It's possible. I don't know. I don't get the sense that most players like doing that second bridge deal. And I think right now Darnell Nurse is probably really regretting it because he didn't get that big payday uh, before the cap crunch. And now he's, instead of being locked up at a solid term through the stagnant cap, he's coming out right in the middle of it where everybody else is going to be looking to get paid as well. So I, I don't think he really managed that all that well, or at least his agent probably. But uh, it may end up kind of looking that way for other people too, is they don't really want the uncertainty of coming out again and maybe having to get bridged again or a smaller contract again. The long-term security of a six-year deal, even if it's five and a half million instead of six and a half or something could be enticing to a lot of those players. On the other hand, he's looking at becoming an unrestricted free agent at 27, which most players mm -hmm. don't get to do. So he could find himself as one of the top, top four defensemen on the market when he comes back in. And if hockey related revenue happens to bounce back then he did a good job betting on himself i don't know that it will but if the cap does go up and some teams have some more money because the bad contracts have expired suddenly he could be looking at one of those eight million dollar deals yeah and by the time he's back on the market maybe he is one of those top four or five guys in the free agent pool and he is the one that uh, teams make room for to pay him whatever he wants to get them on his team i mean if you're looking at 30-year-old uh, Alex Petrangelo or 27-year-old Darnell Nurse, assuming they were in the free agent pool at the same year, which one are you paying more money? Petrangelo. Probably, but is it close? No. Okay, fair enough. I, I could see myself shelling out uh, $8 million for an eight-year uh, deal to Darnell Nurse. I don't know if I would want to go above nine for Petrangelo so I could see it at least being close yeah I wouldn't want to be the guy who gives Nurse more than he's already making because I don't think he's a top pairing defenseman having watched him over the years he's a solid top four guy he does a lot of things that not so many people can do but he also he's just he's not a fast decision maker he's not the number one defenseman who's going to drive play for you. He will be a strong defensive defenseman and he's very mobile and he's very physical and he does all the things that old school people love. But at the end of the day, he's not a guy who's making the crisp passes. He's more liable to make a mistake if he's being asked to start your breakout. So a, a pairing with a guy like Ethan Bear who can do that for you has been perfect for him. So it's just about finding the right role for him. And for me, you don't give role players that kind of money and term. So uh, like, honestly, the, the bridge deal that he already has was more than what I would want to have paid him. But as I was also prepared, Oilers, to give him a seven-year, seven million AAV deal. That's fair. I think... Uh... From your side, you've seen a lot more of him than I have. And I guess in my head, he's still young enough that there can be a little bit more development. And he's already a solid, maybe number three right now. And if he can develop over the next year or two into that for sure top pair guy, then I could see paying him the $8 million. If he plateaus at where he is now, then I agree that his current number is probably pretty close to where we would expect him to be. Yeah, he right now he's making the type of money that you would expect to pay him as a UFA and he got it as an RFA. So I think he did well, but he didn't get terms. So he's he's betting on himself and the Oilers are, I guess, mitigating the hazard of the horrible cap situation that they've built for themselves. Um, so with a flat cap, we, we've referenced a few teams that are really critically hit by this. 
I wrote out kind of a top five teams that are hit hardest by this. You referenced Tampa Bay. They were the number one team on my list. They've got $5 million in cap space, roughly, to extend Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, and Eric Chernak. Sergachev has become a, a popular offer sheet candidate. What's your projected cap hit for him? So I, I have uh, Sergachev pulling that up now at uh, just under $5 million. And I could see some team coming in, signing him to an offer sheet of Darnell Nurse kind of money, so mid $5 million, and saying to Tampa, yeah, you can either match it and lose your other guys, or we'll take Sergeyev for a couple of draft picks. So if he's getting five and a half million, you're looking at what? At least a first, a second, and a third uh, type of compensation in return. I don't have the numbers up there right now, but that sounds about right. Five and a half is uh, first and a third. So oh, okay. Okay. Depending on the team. Tampa Bay operates under troll rules. Everyone gets put under the bridge contract, right? Mm -hmm. So odds are they're probably going to find a way to bridge him and they're going to leverage their organizational situation as well as the lifestyle situation and the no state tax and all that stuff. They're going to do whatever they can to keep him in-house and who's going to want to change locations in the midst of a pandemic? Like odds are when Sergachev is signing a new deal, if he's looking to sign an offer sheet, he would have to travel around to all these places where travel might still not even be allowed. I don't know if he's, is he going to have to do zoom interviews to try to sign an offer sheet? I just wonder if this climate that we are in isn't, just completely inconducive to player movement. So every UFA and RFA is just going to re-up with the team that they're with now so that they don't have to move their shit and deal with the fallout of having to travel around and, and try to sort out this, this pandemic situation where every place has different rules. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a fair point. And I think, yeah, they will end up doing Zoom meetings, phone meetings, whatever to kind of get that so they can minimize travel during this point. But it brings up another uh, kind of counterpoint that maybe this makes teams such as Winnipeg or Edmonton or Calgary a bit more of an appealing destination for the next few years uh, because they're much less much less hard hit than uh, most regions in the United States. So could they use that as a selling point? And if you're Winnipeg, do you say, hey, we can move a first and a third to shore up our weakest point on the team and uh, bring in a guy that can help us now and we can win now. So those picks aren't going to be all that important to us. That would be a very interesting thing to see play out they've got most of their key guys locked into deals already they do need to fill out a lot of depth but uh, I think there could be some situations where uh, Tampa could be pushed if not with Sergeyev then maybe with Sorelli uh, or Jernak at least it's so interesting that Winnipeg went through their big cap crunch last year and it resulted in an exodus of all this talent, but they still managed to keep themselves in the playoff mix because Hellebuck threw out a Vesna-worthy performance and kind of carried a, a, a team devoid of defense. So now they've got a chance to crack open another window if they could get enough young talent to kind of replenish that, uh, that defense situation. And certainly they could beef that up with, with a guy like Sergachev. Um, for the Lightning, I, I'm just going to assume that they don't lose anyone uh, out of their RFA crop just because mm -hmm. they've done so well in, with these cap crunches in the past. But it's probably going to mean they have to make a trade. We saw them trade JT Miller, and they did quite well in that trade, all things considered. 
we talked about on the expansion pod that they've got all these mid-tier guys with no trade protection. Andre Palat, Yanni Gourd, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kalorn. Kalorn is the only guy mm-hmm. who has partial no trade protection. The rest of the guys have full no trade protection this summer. So I'm just mm-hmm. assuming Kalorn is gone. And I wonder about Detroit as a landing spot for him or for any of those guys, just given the Iserman connection. Could Iserman lean on one of these guys and sell Detroit and convince them to, to waive their no trade clause? It, it could be a thing. I don't know if a 30-year-old Alex Kalorn, who probably has the upside of a second-line winger, uh, is exactly the right fit for what Detroit is looking to do. But uh, definitely an interesting idea that uh, with the Iserman connection, we could see one or two players at least move over in that direction. And maybe it ends up being one of the RFAs instead. Maybe Detroit is really a team that's going to look to target uh, one of those guys. But yeah, the no trade uh, protection does really throw a wrench into things. Uh, Detroit does have the cap space. They do have the need for talent. So it would make sense to move at least one of the Palat, Gord, Johnson, Kalorn set uh, over to Detroit. And yeah, Iserman would be able to kind of sell it to them a little better than most other GMs would. Yeah, and Detroit, they're not going to go the offer sheet route because they can't afford yeah they can't afford to give up a lottery pick to bring in an rfa on a lottery uh Mm -hmm. or sorry on a uh on an offer sheet but they could offer up some of their mid-round picks and, and come to a trade agreement because that's what these nhl teams prefer to do anyway right like kevin lowe and brian burke they almost had to fight in a barn because of an offer sheet so i think gms would rather just deal with each other one-on-one rather than doing the offer sheet route and coming up with with a better idea so i wonder if there isn't a trade to be made with uh, a couple of mid-round picks the the type of picks that tampa bay has made a killing off of in the past to kind of replenish their coffers Mm -hmm. and again going back to the Steve Eiserman link with Tampa Bay. It makes sense that they would have a good rapport to be able to discuss that kind of thing. Though, uh, just looking at the offer sheet compensation, Detroit could get away with offer sheeting Eric Chernak for less than four million and only giving up a second round pick. That could be something they look into. But I agree that it does make sense. Just make the trade, and then you can negotiate whatever deal with Chernak that you need to, or whatever it may be. Uh, So yeah, you're right that the trade route does probably make sense for both sides in the end, uh, especially considering they do have the relationship there with Eisenman. Yeah. I just think that they're not in a, in a spot to be doing the offer sheet thing. I do think that a team that had a more combative relationship with the lightning might be the type of team that would go try to do the the dueling offer sheet route right like you could Mm -hmm. you could offer sheet both Chernak and Sergachev do the 5.6 and offer up your first and your third for Sergachev and do four million for Chernak and offer up your second rounder and see how Tampa Bay navigates that shitstorm yeah and that's another point is I don't know how it would work if you I don't think you can sign two offer sheets that cross over the same pick compensation. So it would have to be something in that kind of range where you have a first and a third going for one and a second going for the other, if you were to offer sheet them at the same time, if you did want to try and get uh, Sorelli and Sergachev on offer sheets like that, then I think you would have to do one, see if it gets matched and then do the other. With the dueling offer sheets, you can't have the same compensation going out for uh, both guys. So you have to do the first and the third type and the second round pick type. I can't remember what team it was, but I think San Jose was involved um, where there was a dueling offer sheets uh, situation. I think that's how, oh gosh, I think they did that with Chalmerson um, from Chicago, Mm. if I'm not mistaken. 
that rings a bell. So that's kind of how they approach that situation. But ultimately, the Blackhawks ended up matching. And I believe San Jose ended up with Anti Niemi out of the deal. And Chicago won cups. San Jose didn't. And it's not surprising. Never pay too much for goalies. <laughs> no. No. Um, so we've kind of unpacked uh, Tampa Bay there probably the most impacted team by uh, the flat cap situation. Number two on my list was Edmonton because I'm fully dialed in on their situation. So they have 10 million to replace Mike Smith at one B goalie. Maybe they just bring him back in. He seems to have, have done reasonably well for them. He's got the Dave Tippett connection. Uh, they have to come up with extensions for Andreas Athanasiu and also Ethan Bear, as well as replacing two to three depth type forwards. And they're also dealing with uh, bonus overages next season. They could, you know, Mike Smith's contract alone could run them up two million over the cap. Uh, one of the one of those minor details that slipped out that not everyone had was apparently, uh, according to Freach, uh, any bonus overages this season the mm -hmm. NHL is allowing them to be smoothed over the next two years instead of just slapping it onto next year's cap. So that, that'd be interesting. The Oilers are almost certainly going to have to take advantage of that to keep a little bit of cap space open for them. I think buyouts are the only way that they can really get themselves enough cap room to do effective extensions with Bear and Athanasiu, but that's really opening up a can of worms because between Lucic's retained money and the buyouts for Andre Sakara and Benoit Pouliot, they've already got four and a half million dedicated to the cap in just pure dead money. Yeah, it's not really a fun spot to be in. You do think that they're going to try and re-sign Athanasiu? I mean, they gave up two second rounders to acquire him. And Ken Holland is the guy who drafted him. He specifically went out and probably overpaid, even though two second rounders, like those could end up being nothing, right? But ultimately still a, a fairly high price to acquire this guy. I think they're, they're dead set on bringing this guy back, even if he doesn't work out. Um, I think that they, they would give him a couple of years to try to figure it out. What is your projection for, for his extension? Uh, just a shade over 3 million. So pretty similar to what he made this year, actually. Okay. And that could be one of those situations where he simply signs the RFA tender and rides it out on another one-year deal and bets on himself. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, it's not a bad situation with uh, the rest of the Edmonton forwards that he would get to play with. There's definitely upside there. And worst case scenario, he can't really do worse than he did this year. So, yeah, I, I could see that uh, making sense for most uh, people involved there. Yeah, and if he if he's only making $3 million, then there's – you could maybe massage the numbers and figure out a way to not have to do a, a big time buyout because Chris Russell, as much as they'd love to buy out his expiring deal, you save almost no money mm -hmm. buying him out just the way that his bonuses are structured. So he'll be back. James Neal is the most obvious buyout candidate. That was, that was the most enticing part of bringing him in in the Lucic trade was the potential to buy out his deal because Lucic's deal was like, you couldn't buy it out. There was no mm -hmm. savings to be had. Whereas with Neil, you save two and a half million. So they could, they could carve out the space to extend Athanasiu just with that buyout. But then you're adding another 2 million to your dead money. So now you're up to six and a half million, which like that's Alex DeBrincat's extension, right? You're missing a whole top line forward slot just on dead money. 
Yeah, that's not a great situation. And definitely the more you can minimize the dead money on your cap hit, the better. I do think going back to Chris Russell, maybe we could see Edmonton pawn him off on another uh, team because he's only got one year left. I wonder if they could entice Ottawa into taking him if he was accompanied with a solid pick or prospect or something or different other team, but depends on what you're thinking. It might make more sense than buying out James Neal there. Yeah. They've just, they've already traded away a bunch of draft capital. And if anything, I think they're going to be looking to try to recoup some draft capital this summer. Mm -hmm. And Chris Russell, he's got no move, no trade protection in his contract. So it'd be difficult to pawn him off. I think they're just kind of stuck. With mm. him. Yeah, I hadn't uh, hadn't noted that. But yeah, that probably would be a little bit more difficult to get him out. And to be yeah. fair, like he's 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 been a quality penalty killer for them, if mm-hmm. nothing else. And they're, they've had one of the best penalty kills in the league. So as much as you would like to be using that left side third pair spot on someone on a rookie deal, like Caleb Jones, having a useful veteran in the, in that slot, isn't the worst thing in the world. Anyway, like we see, we see year after year teams, they don't need just six defensemen. They need eight, nine, 10 because of injuries. Mm -hmm. And especially in a season where it sounds like the schedule is going to be jam packed and injuries are going to be crazy. So having that kind of depth, even if it's not injuries, even if it's just to give people a rest for a night so they aren't playing so many back-to-backs would, uh, would be valuable. You, just, you wish you weren't paying $4 million for for that slot. Yeah, definitely a fair point on that. And, and the big thing that going the buyout route would hurt with is the fact that in another year's time, they're looking at needing extensions for Ryan Nugent Hopkins and uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who looked absolutely brilliant uh, alongside Leon Dreisaitl in the second half. So those guys are going to be co- commanding a lot of money. And you pile up six and a half million worth of dead money, and, and it becomes hard to give those guys what they would demand. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting in Edmonton. They they have some options, but at the same time, they're kind of tied into uh, trying trying to find their way through not the greatest set of options. So, yeah, I I don't know if I'm confident in them kind of becoming one of the top cup contenders in the next couple of years, but there's the opportunity there to at least keep improving. Yeah. I mean, the key is going to be, do they put enough talent on the wings beside Dreisaitl and McDavid that you can run two lines and then you just hope you run into the right matchups in the playoffs. Like assuming that McDavid and Dreisaitl playing like MVPs gets you into the playoffs every year Mm -hmm. for the next few years they can put enough talent around them that they can run two lines and are, are really difficult to deal with. Then it's just matchups and can you get a hot goalie and are you healthy enough to, to make a run in the playoffs? And then you take your chances from there. But in, in terms of becoming the type of juggernaut, like we saw with the Pittsburgh Penguins where they had three lines rolling, uh, I don't know if they have enough depth in the system to get to that point. No, but by that point you might have some of your, defense prospects coming up with uh, Bouchard and the rest of them. So you you could at least balance it out. Yeah. I'm not concerned about their defense situation at all. They, uh, they struck gold in the 2015 late rounds when they drafted Caleb Jones and Ethan bear and also John Marino, who's a revelation (laughs) for the penguins. Like, unfortunately they just somehow the Oilers who were searching for defensemen for years, didn't have space for this guy coming out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they struck gold and now they've got, they're going to have those guys on cheap deals, even though they've got to extend bear this summer, it's an RFA situation. They're going to find a way to, to keep the money reasonable. So 
I think they're they're set. They've got Clefbaum locked in for a few more years on a great deal. They've got a couple more years of Darnell Nurse before I'm thinking they move on. And then yeah, I, I think their defense is is looking quite good, which is shocking considering where they once were. Yeah, it's nice to see. No kidding. Um, so we can't talk about cap impacts without talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're looking at having just under $5 million to replace Barry, CeCe, and Dermot on the back end, not to mention uh, some, of the, some of the holes they might have up front. Yeah, I think uh, half the hockey world wants to hear about them and the other half is just tired of hearing about them. There's, but there's no avoiding them. No avoiding um, them, especially in this discussion. Now, they aren't really bogged down with no trade clauses. The only guy who kind of has one of those mid-tier contracts with a no trade clause is Zach Hyman's expiring deal, but he's only got a 10-team no trade clause. But do you think that this is a situation where they make some trades, or what is the most logical choice to try to sort out their cap situation? I think likelihood is they let Kyle Clifford walk because he's got a draft pick attached to re-signing him. Uh, You've got some other depth between Mulligan, Spezza, Gauthier, uh, Mikheyev that you can add in fairly cheaply. Uh, Nick Robertson also looks like he's set to make the team as well. Adam Brooks showed well in a few games. Uh, they signed Alexander Barabanov from Russia, hoping he can have a similar input impact to Mikheyev. So there's some options there for sure, just on mostly league minimum deals, except for Mikheyev, who I think is definitely a better player than Barabanov. Uh, and then on defense, they are losing CC Barry, and they do need to re-sign Dermot. So re-signing Dermot is going to be probably where most of that cap goes I don't think he's going to be too expensive uh let me just pull up what I have for him now says just under three million so yeah I could see two and a half three million for him as a maybe three-year extension a bit of a bridge deal but giving him a little bit of term as well and then from there your roster is basically done they have uh, between Riley, Muzzin, Sandine, Dermot, Rosen, Marinson, Hole, and Lilligren. That's, I think, eight defense right there, if I can count properly. They also just signed Miko Lettinen from Finland as well. I think he's Finnish. Sounds Finnish. I believe he was uh, Jokerit in the KHL, whichever, whichever mm-hmm. Finnish team is in the KHL. He, I think he was on that team. Yeah, I think it was Jokerit. And from there, basically all of the names I've gone through, you've got at least 12 forwards, nine defense. They have their two goalies locked up at least next year between Anderson and Campbell. So I I think it's most likely that it's a pretty quiet offseason for Toronto. I don't think they need to move out too much as long as they can get Mikheyev and Dermott signed to decent deals. But the problem is... Everyone knows they don't have a championship defense. Even they know they don't have a championship defense. So even if they bring those guys back, they're they're filling roster spots, but they're not putting together the bones of a championship team, you would think. So how are they going to be able to fit in that number one type defenseman that they're striving to acquire? I don't think you can fit in a number one type defenseman. You could fit in a solid number three, maybe a number two at best, if you move uh, Alex Kerfoot, who never really seemed to fit in with the Leafs. He has a salary of three and a half million, so maybe you could uh, move him, get back a solid uh, defense there. I don't know who you toss in with him to make up the difference. But I think that's the only way you're really bringing in a very impactful defenseman. I think generally they're hoping that uh, Sandine and Lilligren can show a little bit more, or at least shoulder a little bit more of the weight, uh, a few heavier minutes, 
and just kind of be that next generation defenseman that can move the puck, that can skate well, doesn't need to be too physical, but can just munch minutes because their team has the puck more when they're on the ice. Yeah, one of the toughest things to do is break in a bunch of rookie defensemen at the same time. And so doing so with both Sandine and Liljegren at the same time could prove too damaging to their uh, attempts to uh, contend next season. So I wonder if they aren't looking to bring in some kind of a veteran. But like you said, maybe it's uh, maybe it's someone on the lower end of things uh, replacing that Kerfoot salary, or maybe it's Janssen or Kapanen. I, I wonder if they do end up trading out one of those mid-tier forwards, would they go straight one-for-one one looking for that defense solution, or would they just trade them off for picks or prospects and, and use that stuff in another trade to try to acquire the different guy because trying to thread the needle on a one-for-one deal might prove too difficult. Yeah, I think if I'm Dubis and I'm set on acquiring, uh, he probably has a list of whatever three or four defensemen that would fit all of their needs, kind of more of a right shot, mid-tier salary, but able to shoulder a lot of the load and kind of help bring that defense core up you've probably got three or four main guys that you're targeting and maybe two or three of them could be available in the right deal. So I think first off you try with the assets you have and if it doesn't work, then you do like we do in fantasy leagues and you ship one guy off one way, bring in something, a different piece that you can try and throw at them instead and see what sticks. It's, it's one of those things that I think it just depends on the situation and you see what you can do with it. Mm. And so we've kind of written Tyson Berry off of their team. Mm-hmm. What happens with him? Where is he going and, and how much is he going to make? I have no idea where he's going and I have no idea how much he's going to make. He could be uh, sticking to his 8 million point that he was rumored to be looking for on an extension as of last summer. Uh, my number for him here is projected at uh, 5.25 which I think would be reasonable if he wants to take uh, somewhere 4.5 to 5.5 for a year and try and rebuild his value from how far it dropped in Toronto just because he didn't really fit their system. Um, I, In terms of where he goes I really don't know. There's always teams looking for right shot defensemen, but I don't know if there's a lot that have room to fit that salary with the risk that he carries that he might be, he might just struggle the same way he did this season. Yeah. Like ultimately he's one of those second slash third pairing type defensemen, but with, ultimate power play utility so you got to find the right spot for him and the right role and use him appropriately otherwise it's kind of a wasted skill and you got to find the right partner for him as well the the kind of guy who if you want him playing tougher minutes is going to be able to kind of help him out and and operate as kind of a a yin and a yang similar to I don't know the the example always thrown out there is Mark Mathot with with Eric Carlson and obviously we'd probably be looking at uh, at a, a homeless man's version of that sort of pairing with wherever he ends up because no one is Eric Carlson. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Uh, so the next team that I thought was hit hard by this, and we've talked about them on the podcast before, is St. Louis. They've got $3 million in cap space for next season, mm-hmm. and they've got to extend – both Alex Petrangelo and Vince Dunn, like done, whatever, that's an RFA deal. He hasn't really busted out. So I would assume he's going to get a deal for under 2 million, but Petrangelo is looking for the Roman Yossi contract. So how are you carving out eight more million to fit that in? I think if you're St. Louis at this point, you either can't fit him in 
and you're just kicking yourself for signing that just in fault contract, which didn't even look good with the cap going up. And maybe you look at moving out both Alex Steen and Tyler Bozak to try and fit in Alex Petrangelo and call up another center from their endless depth of uh, minor league guys, which could be done. I don't know how much interest people have around the league in Alex Steen and Tyler Bozak, especially with the cap crunch going on everywhere, but that would be the easiest way uh, to fit him in just by moving out a couple of existing pieces and least painful for St. Louis as well. Otherwise, I don't know if they can fit him. And if they could, why wasn't he signed to this point already? So that's the other question is, does he really want to stay? Yeah, I think he'd probably want to stay for the right amount of money, but it sure seems like they're, they're haggling over, over the dollars. And at this point, they wouldn't be able to sign him to an extension because of the, the cap overage. So they can't just sign him now and assume that they're going to be able to make the room. And they're not going to find a buyer for Alex Steen. I would assume not anyway. He's got a full no trade clause. So it, I don't think he's just going to agree to get dumped somewhere else. Maybe, maybe he would. Maybe he maybe he looks at retiring. I, I don't really know what that situation is. Yeah. But he's an obvious bio candidate, and that would save them $2.3 million. And I don't know. Maybe they can find a buyer for that regrettable Justin Falk contract. If it was a million bucks cheaper, I might have said, maybe the Leafs go after him in a, in a retained salary deal. Maybe a retained salary deal is still an option there, although that's a hell of a long time to be retaining salary on a guy that, I don't know, I, I think they kind of brought him in as insurance for this Petrangelo situation. And it, as it turns out, it's hamstringing them more than, more than anything. So difficult solutions, but at least they got that cup win. Yeah, you can't take that away from them now. No, you cannot. Flags fly forever. Uh, Alex, I've got a fifth team on my list, but I'm not that committed to them. Was there any team that stood out to you uh, outside of the ones we've already discussed as facing uh, significant consequences from the cap staying flat? I think uh, you nailed four that I probably would have wanted to bring up as well. I might have had Edmonton a touch lower, but with what you had pointed out, they definitely deserve to be in that conversation. I think there's two teams left that I could uh, see being worthy of discussing in that area. Uh, One of them has a little bit more flexibility next year than the other. But uh, I think between Vegas and Vancouver, those are probably the two that I see having uh, some issues next year and maybe the year after with the flat cap. I don't know what direction you were looking. Well, so I looked at Vegas and they're basically spending to the cap, but they also don't really have much in the way of contracts to extend next season. So maybe it's in a couple of years where they really feel the pain and they've got guys like Cody Glass and stuff like that coming off their ELCs that they would have to extend. But as of right now, I think that they're, they're kind of set up pretty well to contend at least next season. I don't know. Yeah. They're, they're not in bad shape. They just, they are tight. They do need to try and fill stuff out. And I, I still think they're missing one or two pieces to be that real cup contender. And that's what they're going to be looking for. And they're going to have a tough time adding it. Uh, on top of adding a strong second goalie that I think they'll need to shoulder some of Flurry's load as he's now 35 plus. Yeah, I don't know how they fill that second goalie slot unless they just keep trading picks uh, for goalies who have retained salary and, and kind of fill that slot similar to they, what they did with Robin Lehner, what holes do you think that they're, they have outside of that backup goalie spot? I, I think it's uh, mostly just maybe on defense, probably the most uh, glaring anyway that I see is they have Shea Theodore, 
And then after that, it's not kind of a standout stud defense core. Nate Schmidt is solid, but I don't know if uh, him being a number two is really what's going to get you over the championship hump. So I, I feel like they could use a little help there as well. Martinez, McNabb, Holden, they make some solid depth, but I, I feel like they're still missing uh, a little bit more of an impact uh, on the back end. It seems like they're in a similar spot as the Leafs where they don't really have that mm-hmm. right side defenseman, but I will not hear any Nate Schmidt slander on this podcast. He is... <laughs> He is a phenomenal number two, number three guy. He can play on your top pairing and it's not going to hurt you. I think what he does at the blue lines and in transition is, is pretty darn fantastic, but he, you are correct. He is not a number one defenseman, but they have Shea Theodore and he is one. So I think that they're, they're maybe looking for that number three guy that they could put with a, a Shea Theodore or a Nate Schmidt and the options kind of really fall off after that, unless mm-hmm. Alec Martinez can rediscover his LA form. Yeah. We'll, we'll see about that. I, I'm curious. You were a little non-committal on your next team there though. Uh, so I was kind of looking at Chicago. They've got 10 million and they've got to replace both their goaltenders. Like bringing back Malcolm Subban is easy enough, or maybe they call up Colin Delia or whatever they decide to do. But they've probably got to bring Corey Crawford back at a big number. And since they love their legacy contracts there in Chicago, I'm assuming they will bring Crawford back at a big number. If not, maybe they go after a different goalie and give him a big number like maybe a Braden Holpe or something like that. And then they've got to extend uh, Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubilik, who, I mean, those guys are probably looking both for $3 million range. So like, it's not that daunting. They can save a couple million with a Zach Smith buyout. The one thing that really intrigued me was the potential for an under 26 buyout of Oli Mata. I don't know what exactly the timelines are because he turns 26 in August, but they're shifting all of the, all of the timelines for significant dates and stuff like that around. So I don't know when they would have to have him bought out by and what those situations would look like, but they turn his cap hit from 4.1 million on the cap to less than 700 K if they buy him out before he's 26. Uh, that's definitely an intriguing option. I don't know if I had uh, Chicago being in all that much trouble. Uh, I, I think they're going to patch together their goalie. I imagine that we see Corey Crawford and Colin D'Elia being their tandem next year. Uh, I'm not as certain as you are that Crawford gets a big money deal. I could see him coming back at... Uh, half or two-thirds of the six million that he was earning this year just because there isn't a big goalie market he will want to stay he's generally made his money already and they know that he's not going to be a top tier goalie anymore he's a solid uh, starter but not on a championship team so I could see him taking a little bit less uh, especially now that he's over 35 so that in conjunction with uh, some bridge deals for Kubalik and Strom, I, I think they're in a manageable spot. It is definitely an interesting uh, point that you bring up with Olimata, that uh, if they can figure out the buyout there, then that would be an easy way to free up some space and I guess let their young set of defensemen kind of grow into bigger roles. But it's not like they really have the deepest decor to begin with. So I don't know if that's really the direction they would look at going. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm not sure that they want to get rid of Mata. I, they, I think they were excited to get him when they, mm-hmm. they brought him in as a younger guy who could shoulder some, some heavier loads and, and that sort of thing. With Crawford, are you thinking maybe a Pecorine 
type uh, type extension for him, a couple of years, five million, and maybe because he's over thirty five, there's there's a little bit of bonus structure added in there. Yeah, I, I could see that, and I think personally, Rene's the re- the better uh, age thirty five goalie, so I could see Crawford taking four four and a half uh, just to kind of match talent level the money for comparative to Rene's deal and Rene's was signed before the cap crunch came in so I I could see Crawford getting a little lower but uh, similar kind of style to the contract layout. Now you also mentioned Vancouver as a team that could be facing a bit of a cap crunch. I didn't really look at them at all. They've got another year of cheap entry-level deals from their two best players but they are looking at a situation where arguably their MVP, Jacob Markstrom, is a UFA goaltender at the age of 30. How do you navigate that awful situation? I mean, the age 30 for goalies isn't really a death kill. I think goalies you can kind of see peaking at 31, 32. So if they sign Markstrom to a five-year deal, then you're getting still some pretty good years out of them um it's a good question and maybe this kind of pandemic cap crunch is actually the incentive both sides needed to sort out a two-year deal with markstrom for five or six million dollars a year sign him for generally what he's worth but don't add the term and then in that time you can have thatcher demko and uh, mikey dipietro grow into the roles and then as soon as Markstrom's kind of bridge deal is over then you just shift those two up in your set so there's an option there I think they could run with uh, Demko and sign a free agent goalie maybe a Cam Talbot or somebody just to come in and carry 30-35 starts and you run with Demko as your main guy it's not a terrible option though I think you've had some other talks on other podcasts that Demko's not really ready yet so we'll we'll see about that but uh, the Markstrom situation doesn't necessarily uh, pose the greatest greatest risk to their cap situation I think it's generally just all of the other big contracts that they've given out that not this coming summer but or sorry not this summer but this coming uh, summer of 2021 where they're going to be in uh, some big trouble with both Hughes, Pedersen uh, needing extensions. You've got Tyler Toffoli that they look like they want to resign. They're probably going to end up keeping Jake Vertanen on. Adam Gaudet looked uh, pretty good this season, a lot of growth there. So I, I don't think they're in trouble quite yet, but if they don't steer the ship properly, uh, then I think they could be getting themselves into a lot of trouble uh, coming up next summer. So how many picks do they give Seattle to take Louis Erickson? I don't think they can give Seattle enough picks to take him. <laughs> One of the interesting things, you mentioned Vegas. A lot of people have been talking about Vegas flexing their situation as not having to expose a player in the Seattle expansion draft, but they have no cap room to take on these players. So I wonder if that isn't the the biggest casualty for them is their ability to flex a a little bit of uh, muscle in that expansion draft situation and take on a contract or two. I don't think they'll be able to. Yeah, I I think uh, they might have some trouble really taking advantage of it. I could definitely see them filling in their goalie slot that way at some point over the next year uh, and take advantage of that for sure. But uh, at Skater, yeah, they're, they're kind of full. They're generally set against the cap and they don't really have the room to take advantage in, uh, of a Tampa Bay or somebody that has some options like that to possibly give up uh, instead of just losing them in the draft. Alex, we, we've been digesting teams most hit by the flat cap. Somehow, the Pittsburgh Penguins weren't on our list. And I, I know why I didn't have them on there, but uh, why weren't they a consideration for you? 
I think generally most of their big players are signed to this point and they've always done a good job of just bringing in talent that other teams aren't really interested in and you throw them on a line with Crosby and Malkin and they do well. So I I think we've seen them navigate that for years that things just won't really change for them all that much moving forward, even with the flat cap. Uh, the loss of Justin Schultz's money as well. You let him walk and they're not doing too badly all in all. You can sign uh, Murray and Jari one or the other. You're fine with them or you sign them both the similar one-year bridge deals to kind of move forward there, battle it out themselves. They, they have some options. They have some flexibility. Not too worried there. Yeah, they somehow are paying Brandon Tanev and Jack Johnson almost $7 million combined, and yet they've got $14 million to play with to extend their two goalies. Yeah, they, they've managed most of their un, other contracts pretty well, that uh, kind of two mid-tier depth uh, contracts aren't really hurting them all that much. And if they really needed to, they could buy one out or lop one off, uh, send a draft pick with them and send it back in. So we have not seen the last of the Penguins dynasty. Alex, we, uh, we unpacked, I think, some of, the, some of the biggest impacts. I think there's still a ton of little nitty-gritty details that are going to have to be sorted out, and maybe we, we digest those on another podcast. But um, thank you so much for coming on. I know you had a piece on Dauber Hockey assessing how fantasy players can, can handle a flat cap situation in, in their leagues. Uh, anything else to, to plug before we jet? Uh, I think just in the meantime, for those that uh, want to want to follow me on Twitter at uh, Alex D. McLean, uh, I should be updating my uh, cap rankings for skaters and hopefully getting some uh, updated salary predictions out soon. Uh, and might be looking into trying to create the same thing for goalies, though you might call me crazy for even thinking about trying that. But uh, yeah, some exciting stuff that I'm looking into moving forward and getting out there. Do you want me to recommend a good shaman for your goalie rankings? <laughs> if you have a good one, then uh, it's probably better than mine. You know, I've, uh, I've encountered a few doing these podcasts, so I, can, uh, I could probably steer you in the right direction. Alex, you've been super generous with your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Steve. It was a fun talk today.